0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Verse 46, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it was well built. But anyone who hears and does not obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation." When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a, heaps of, into a heap of ruins. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Well done, well said. Uh, and as Cameron said, we are continuing our question series, looking at the various questions that Jesus asked during his ministry. He asked, we answer, And this one being, uh, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? And he's asking this question to say, are you going to make him the Lord of your life, the king of your life, the person in charge of your life? And uh, with this idea of kingship in this theme and this question, it got me thinking about the current event of King Charles and his coronation. Who, who was bold enough to wake, anybody break, wake up at 3 a.m. to watch the coronation? No. Okay. Did anybody watch it on DVR? Oh, couple hands. How many of you read about it? watched a video of it, saw some news coverage about it, scrolled past it on Facebook? How many of you couldn't give a rip? We are independent of England. Forget them. 1776. Uh-huh. Fourth of July. Remember it, John. This moment in our current events may not matter to some, and it may matter to others more. Uh, but what happened, obviously, was a lot of pomp and a lot of circumstance. I mean, look at that regalia that he gets to wear, and look at how happy he is. <laughs> he is thrilled to be king. Like, he is so excited, like Simba's singing, I can't wait to be king, right? He's just so excited to be king, and he's got all the you know, there's all this liturgy and these fancy words and these people there, and there's people there that, you know, you begin to realize he is much more of a figurehead than an actual authority figure. The King of England, because of the way their structure is set up, uh, doesn't have a whole lot of power. They've got a, a prime minister and they've got a parliament, and they've got all these things. And I'm not going to get too into those weeds because it's not social studies in eighth grade. What we're talking about here is just this idea of kingship. And I wonder how many of us have made Jesus our king, but only in symbol like he is a symbol of authority, but really carries no weight in their minds. How many people were excited to be present in England during that time, but then when it came to it, he really has no authority and no leadership in their life. They couldn't care less. And I wonder for some Christians, how many of us say, Jesus is my king, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is the one in charge, and then Monday hits, and he becomes more of just a figurehead than an authority figure more of just a symbol of kingship where we don't really revere him, honor him, love him, follow him. And we want to be a people who live under the kingship of Jesus. We want to be somebody, we want to be a people who say, Jesus, you are the king of my life. And what that means is you're in control of my life. I submit my life to you. I follow you. I will allow you the control and leadership of my life. You are not just a symbol. You are not just a part of a a committee of voices and influences, but you are the one that leads my life. You are my king. And so this morning, we're going to see what it means to honor Jesus with our obedience. That when I obey Jesus, I'm actually honoring Jesus. We're gonna talk about how that obedience uh, can build our faith. It's not just about compliance. It's not just about following the rules and checking boxes. But when I obey Jesus, I'm actually building my faith and doing so, I'm developing a lifestyle of obedience that will build a faith that can endure a lifetime. I don't want a momentary faith. I don't want a hyped-up faith. I don't want a Sunday morning faith. I want a life and a faith that will endure for a lifetime. That's what it means to put Jesus at the king of your life. To have a faith that can endure for a lifetime. And and to feed that endurance, we need to develop a lifestyle of obedience. And Jesus asked this question, why do you call me Lord if you won't do what I say? He's looking at the crowd of people that surround him. He's talking to all of these people that are following him from town to town and place to place and meal to meal and all of these things. And saying, oh, Jesus, you're Lord, you're King, you're amazing. And it's this reverent term to say Lord, King. It's like saying sir, right? Does anybody ever say sir or ma'am to you when you're at like a fast food place? You're like, whoa, hey, that's really, I mean, it's McDonald's, man, just calm down. Here's your fries, sir. Thank you. But they're coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, Lord. There's this repetition that just continues to amplify the significance and the reverence that's taking place. Sir, sir, king, Lord, Jesus, teacher, ruler of my life. And he's looking at them and he sees this discrepancy and he's pointing out this discrepancy to say, you say I'm the Lord of your life, but your actions aren't following that. Your heart is not connected to your words. Your talk is cheap compared to your actions. And Jesus is pointing out this discrepancy and saying to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian, is more than just going to church, It's more than posting verses on our Instagram, it's more than putting a bumper sticker on our car that says Hope City Church. Being a Christian is, is meaning I'm following Jesus. I am a little Christ. That term Christian is just a smaller Christ. A little representation of him, but I'm becoming more and more like him. To be a Christian is to say, I am allowing Jesus to be the teacher of my life, and I am the student. I'm going to be under his tutelage, under his teaching. I'm going to be shaped and molded by him. You ever had influential leaders and teachers in your life that shaped you and molded you and imparted things into you? Well, that's what Jesus is doing when we say, be the king, be the teacher, be the ruler, be the Disciple maker of me. Discipleship is this process of becoming more like Jesus and being his student. And it begs the question, basically Jesus is looking around the room saying, you wanna be my students, you wanna be my apprentices. Well, what kind of student doesn't listen to their teacher? What kind of student doesn't do what the teacher says? And I can answer this question with firsthand experience because I've been a substitute teacher this year. What kind of student doesn't listen to their teacher? A lot of them. As a substitute teacher, you have no authority. You come in, you write your name, Mr. Nult, and they're like, Mr. what? Mr. Nult. How do you say it? Mr. Nult. it rhymes with salt. Move on, mister, here we go. And they're Teacher, teacher, right? Teacher, teacher, and they call you teacher, they call you mister, they call you sub, right? Oh, we got a sub today. I got this this title, but there's no authority to it because they don't do what you say. You say, hey, buddy, because I don't know their names. I look at the roll sheet. Hey, buddy, you're not supposed to be seated here. here. You're supposed to be over there because your teacher's so smart, she gave me a seating chart with your picture, and you don't look like this kid. You belong over there, and they look at you, and they're like, So? And then I go over to this kid, and I'm like, hey, buddy, we're on our Chromebooks doing math. What are you doing? Looking up YouTube. Fantastic. Great. Because I'm a sub. I got no authority. What am I going to do? Take away recess? I had one teacher that was just like, don't burn it down. Just don't let them burn it down. You're a sub. Just get through the day. I'm like, okay, cool. High bar. But it's... It's because they can say, teacher, teacher, mister, no, blah, 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 blah. I got, I got no authority. I got no leadership in their life. I don't blame the kids, right? I remember being a fourth grader and a sub would come in, like, day off, right? <laughs> I was that kid, okay? So I am not, this is not a, a criticism of the public school system or teachers or young people. I was that kid that they were like, John, be quiet. John, stop talking. John, you're not funny. John, Paul, I was that kid. So I see these kids, and I'm like, okay, I, yeah, I get it. I have a lot of empathy and a lot of sympathy. But it, it, it informs this question that Jesus asked. Why do you call me Lord if you're not gonna do what I say? A lack of obedience shows a lack of respect. So when we say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, and we're not gonna do what he says, we're really just giving him a title that's very empty and very hollow. And I wonder how many Christians today are making Jesus a substitute teacher of their lives. That's not the relationship that Jesus came to bring into us. He didn't come to establish a substitute teacher type role, like, hey, if you wanna follow this, go for it. It's, I came to lead you. I came to be your king. And when I obey my king, I honor my king. Obedience is not a bad word. And we sometimes in our culture view obedience in such a negative connotation. Obedience, man, when I obey my king, I I am honoring my king. I'm honoring Jesus. But what does Jesus tell us to do? Sometimes if we're in church for a long period of time, that idea, or if we haven't been in church for a long period of time, that can be a kind of ambiguous question, like, you're not doing what I tell you to do. And we're sitting here like, I'm 2,000 years later, man. What does Jesus tell us to do? And, and I thought about that idea. What does Jesus tell us to do? And I categorized it into these two two uh, columns, if you will. I, I, I see Jesus is setting limits, and he's calling us to take leaps. And of course, they alliterate, so I just love that stuff. But they set limits. Jesus Think about all the things Jesus does to set limits in our lives, to set boundaries, to set parameters, create some rules to live within. And this is the part that most people think of when they think of Christianity is they think rules, boundaries, limitations. And think about all the things that Jesus teaches people to do, right? He says, don't commit adultery, don't let lust rule your life. What is he doing? He's setting a limit. Don't let your impulses and desires be the king of your life. Set a limit. When he says to teach, when he teaches us on Sabbath and taking breaks and stopping, what is he doing? He's saying, set a limit to the way you use your time. Take breaks because you are a human being with a body that needs to take breaks and a mind that needs to take a break. Set a limit on how you're using your time. When he teaches us to love our enemies, right? Jesus tells us to love our enemies. What is he doing? He's saying, set a limit on your judgment, your hostility, your anger your prejudice, your criticism. Go love your enemies and put a limit to those impulses of how you would judge somebody based on how they look or how they treat you. When he says to go pray in private, that was one thing that Jesus told people to do. Go pray in private, shut the door, be quiet. Go pray in private. What's he he saying there? He's, he's, He's putting a limit on what? Our pride, our religious arrogance. He's setting a boundary for how our spirituality can be uh, able to flourish and more wholesome and more holistic and that it's not about pride and ego and greed, selfishness. When he says don't steal, he's putting a limit on our materialism and our greed and our love for money, isn't he? Living within these limitations, living within these boundaries, living within these parameters Because Jesus doesn't want our lives overrun by circumstances, impulses, desires, instincts, fears. Those things can rule our lives, can't they? Circumstances, anybody? Impulses, instincts, sin. Ever feel like sin rules your life? No one's nodding or even raising a hand, so we'll just say yes. Fear ever rule your life? And so Jesus teaches us and tells us to live within these limits. So in a world where we feel out of control, in a world where you can't control people, circumstances, or God, right? How many of you control people? Can't control people. Circumstances, can't control them. God definitely can't control. In a world where we don't have control, these limits teach us to control the one thing we can, ourselves, and how we engage with that world. He's setting limits so that you can begin to develop a faith that is grounded and connected to him. Because those limits will keep you grounded within yourself and with him in a world that you can't control. You will develop a self control, which is a fruit of the spirit. Jesus will also tell us to take leaps. So some of us this morning are being reminded of maybe limits that we need to set, but others, you're gonna be challenged this morning to take a leap, a step. You're gonna jump out of your comfort zone. Jesus is gonna push you and prod you and challenge you and say, let's take a leap. Think about the moments with Jesus that he challenges people to not just set limits in their life, but says, let's get out of your comfort zone and take a leap with me. When he meets some fishermen on the shore and he says, drop everything, come follow me, He's not setting a limit. He's saying, take a leap. Take a leap into the unknown. Leave the familiar. When he meets the rich man, and this rich guy comes and wants to be in heaven, wants to be close to God, wants the kingdom of God in his life, Jesus challenges him to take a leap. He says, sell everything you have and come follow me. Give it to the poor. Take a leap by doing something radical. When he tells the the disciples after the resurrection to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to make disciples, what is he doing? He's challenging them to take a leap. Take a leap into your city. Take a leap into your region and your community. Take a leap into your enemy territory of Samaria. Take a leap to the ends of the earth to boldly go and make disciples. That's a leap. He encounters a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And he says, get up. Your sins are forgiven. That's a leap, isn't it? Guy's been paralyzed his whole life. and Jesus says, get up. And he does leap, literally. But he takes a step of faith, a leap of faith, to say Jesus will show up and heal. Jesus tells Peter to have a meal with a Roman soldier, which crosses, cro- crosses cultural boundaries. And he's saying, will you take a leap to go across the social norms to expand the gospel and meet with this guy. In Acts chapter nine, Jesus tells Ananias, I want you to get up, leave your house, and go pray for this guy named Saul. He's gonna show up in the town. This guy Saul, he's one bad seed. He's been persecuting the church. He's been killing Christians, but I want you to pray for him, and I want you to take a leap and trust that my plan is better than your plan. You see, Jesus doesn't just set limits on our life for good. He also, at times, will challenge us to take a leap into the unknown and the unfamiliar and into the things that will challenge us and yet require us to stay tethered to him. Because I've got to learn to trust in Jesus in those moments more than I trust in myself, my education, my capacities, my my familiarity. I've got to learn to trust, Jesus, if you're challenging me to take a leap, You're going to be with me on the way down. You're going to be with me on the way out, whatever that leap is. You're going to be with me when it's uncomfortable. Do what Jesus says. He's going to challenge you to set limits and take leaps. And this question, I've been thinking about it. Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? And I, I... I immediately would start and and just wanna just dig in on this idea of like, it's all about obedience, it's all about doing what Jesus says, and and we could just kinda hammer down on this idea of like, this is about surrendering control and our autonomy and our, you know, giving those things up, and we're gonna honor Jesus by doing what he says. And then Jesus takes this conversation and totally shifts into another facet of obedience. Because I could just talk for 30 minutes on, Honoring Jesus, right? There is a sense of honor that comes with obedience. There's a sense of faith building that comes with it too. Because as I said, you're tethered to him or you're grounded in that as you obey. And with that, Jesus then gives this parable and that's where this conversation shifts. He gives this parable, not about respect, not about honor and authority, but it's about the storms of life that are coming. And so to me, what this teaches is that Jesus is telling us, develop a lifestyle of obedience that will endure a a lifetime. Endure a lifestyle of obedience that will help build a faith that will endure a lifetime. Because he gives us this parable, this parable that's all about the storms. A very familiar parable, if you've been in church, says, I will show you what it's like when somebody comes to me. This is verse 47, 48, 49. Someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. Then the floodwaters rise and break against the house. It stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floodwaters sweep against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. You see, this parable, I think, shows this whole other facet of obedience that I would have not thought of. I would have only thought of like, do what he says because he's in charge. Just do better. Follow the rules. But there's there's something here. Follow what he says because he loves you and knows that the storms are going to hit. And he wants you to be ready for those things. The things he's telling you to set limits on, the things that he's telling you to take a leap on, are preparing you for the sunny days, the cloudy days, and especially the stormy days. Do what he says. Build a lifestyle of obedience and it will prepare us for a lifetime of faith. And I just, I wanna be very clear on this because this is very important to me, is uh, what we're talking about here is not do what he says so that he loves you. Jesus loved you when you didn't obey. Jesus loved you when you were empty in your promises and in your commitments. He still loved you. He doesn't love us because we obey. We obey because he loves us. And I'm not saved because I obey. I'm not getting into heaven because I did all the right things. You and I are not saved or loved because of our obedience, but that obedience establishes a stronger and, and, and more, um, a more edified faith that can endure. And as I look at this parable, there's two things that, that I noticed. One is that, did you notice that both people heard what Jesus said? It's not like, hey, the smart guy heard me and the other guy didn't. He didn't get the email. No, it says both people heard what Jesus said and both made a choice. One person did it, the other person didn't. One person said, I hear you, Jesus. This is the limit. This is the leap. Whatever it is, I'm gonna do it. Let's do it. The other guy's like, I hear you, Jesus. That's the limit. That's the leap. Not today. Not today, Jesus. Maybe later. Maybe when I'm in a different season. Maybe when it's a little bit easier. They don't do it. And I, 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 I noticed this, this, this fact that both people heard what Jesus said and I think what it, it reminds us and what Jesus would imply here is that all of us have a choice to make. You hear the word of God. You know what Jesus is telling you to do. You have a choice to make. You can't like blame God. You can't blame other people. You can't say, I didn't know any better. You can't plead ignorance on this. You and I make choices. We make choices. And I've known this parable for so long, and I'm sure many of us have heard this parable many times. And I thought about it this week, and I thought, for the first time, I thought about this. Why would the guy ever build on the sand? Like, why would you ever do that? You ever thought about that? Like, Jesus gives us this fictional parable, but... It gives this idea of this guy builds on rock and this other guy builds on sand. Like, why in the world would you ever think, like, that's a good idea? I'm gonna do that. And then I thought about all the home improvement projects that I've done and all the projects I've had to fix from previous people that stayed in the parsonage next door and all the fun ideas that they had because building on the sand is like building with duct tape. How many of you have had to fix other people's projects that they thought duct tape will hold it? Literally, when we moved in almost nine years ago, there were single pane windows in the basement, water leaking through, duct tape over the cracks and the holes, and then they just sheetrocked over the top. Yep. Can't see it? No problem. Duct tape will hold it. That's why we build on the sand. That's, I mean, Jesus is, he's not venturing off into something crazy, right? We still cut corners. We still find shortcuts. And why? Why would we do that? Why would you duct tape over a window? Why would you create a rat's nest of electrical cords and then just sheetrock over the top of it? Why would you build your house on the dirt and not build a foundation? And it's cheaper, it's easier, and the beach has a much better view than in the city. Everybody wants beach views. Beach view property, so that's the easiest way to do it. I'm just I'm gonna plant it right there in the sand. Digging in sand, my kid can do it, and he's seven, right? Digging in rock, my kid can't do that. So it is easier, and I wonder how many of us hear what Jesus would tell us to do. Hey, I want you to set this limit in your life. I want you to try this. Hey, I want you to take this leap of faith, and we're like, mm, it's cheaper for me not to do that. It, right? It's cheaper to not be generous. It's easier to stay in my comfort zone. I'm not going to take that leap, Jesus. Not today. It's more pleasant to sin than to do the right thing. Anybody give an amen to that? Not not that we want to say that, but it is true. In the moment, it can be much more pleasant to live in sin than to do the right thing. It can be much more pleasant to live at the beach than to live not on the beach. And I hear these words, and and we are challenged to make a choice. You get the choice of the other guy that builds on the rock. And it reminds me that when we build on the rock, we are building with effort and intentionality, planning. It's not easy. We're not talking about shortcuts. It's difficult. And I've talked to people that have done foundation work. That doesn't sound like fun. I'm very happy that my hands still have softness to them. Very happy that my forearms are not like Popeye, right? Like I, I've seen people that work on foundations, I've seen the effort. In fact, somebody across the street has been redoing their foundation here at one of these houses, and I'm watching that work and I'm like, mm-mm, no. They're excavating out all this dirt and rubble, and it's arduous, it's hard work, it's hot work, they're climbing under there. That's dangerous. I ain't doing that. I'm not climbing under a house that's up on blocks. Mm-mm. Right, They're building concrete forms. They're pouring in and pumping in concrete and doing all this. There's a plan. There's intentionality. There's money. There's effort. There's slivers. There's dirt. There's uh-uh. spiders. Back to the pit of hell. Reinforcing or building something truly on a foundation that is stable and solid and going to endure does take effort and thought and time. And it's not always easy. Doing the right thing is not always going to be easy. Setting a limit or taking a leap is not always going to just accidentally happen. I don't know if people accidentally follow Jesus. We intentionally obey. We plan, we think about those things. And yet, Jesus is giving this illustration to say, if you will develop a lifestyle of obedience... It's not that I'll love you more. It's not that you get into heaven. If you would, if you would develop a lifestyle of obedience, you will develop a faith that will endure. Because he says to both of them, the storm will hit. Both of them experience the storm, don't they? Both of them have a choice. Both of them hit, are hit by storms. It's not the good guy that's hit by the storm and the other guy that's just like, hey, it's sunshine. Right? They're both hit by storms. All of us are going to be hit by storms in life. What kind of faith have we been building and establishing so that it can endure those storms? Think about the storms in life, right? Not the literal, I mean, it could be literal. Like we, we do have literal storms in life that, that can wreak havoc and sometimes decimate and ruin our lives. But, but more metaphorically speaking, what are the storms in our life? Let's get Pentecostal for a second. Just shout them out. What are the storms that you go through in life? Illness. Death. Death. Loss, divorce, unemployment, debt. I had to think about what you said. Debt. What else? What else? What are the storms in life? Broken relationships, conflict, parenthood. There are moments of storms. There are sunny days, and there are storms. Life change. How about that? Sometimes moving, watching your kids grow up and move out. I was talking to one family afterwards. Their their kid is getting married soon. And as much as it's a celebration, it's this life change. So it feels a bit stormy as well as they're processing all of that. Job change, geographic change, family change. Unexpected things happen. These storms will hit the obedient, and the disobedient. And yet, if our relationship is just surface level, Sunday morning, put a bumper sticker on it, post it on Instagram, Jesus, when those storms hit, my question is, is will that faith endure? Will you cling to Jesus in those moments? Because what Jesus is describing is a faith that is only surface level. It has not reached into your heart and transformed you from the inside out. It is not something that has changed the way that you see those storms and see life and see your priorities and see your values and see eternity a love that has so changed the way that you view even obedience that it's not about just being compliant. It's not about losing control and autonomy. It is about, I love my Jesus so much. He is the king of my life, and I'm going to get through this storm, and I'm not alone because who's with me in that storm? My king is with me in that storm. That obedience that we're talking about prepares us For the sunny days, the cloudy days, and the stormy days. All of what Jesus would tell us is meant to be implemented, a part of us, lived out. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson, who is most famously known for uh, writing the message translation of the Bible, uh, wrote a bunch of other books and pastored uh, in various locations and he wrote this book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Great book on just following Jesus for the long haul. Like if this, if this morning is scratching an itch that you've been feeling, Amazon this book right now and start picking it up. Um, it, you're gonna feel like you're just sitting at Starbucks with Eugene. But I love even that title. It comes from a famous quote, just this idea of a long obedience in the same direction. How many of you would agree? That is building your life on the rock. That's not sandy building. That's not easy building. But that is what it means to follow Jesus. That is what Jesus is propelling us towards. And this is a quote from that book, and I just think it captures this idea of building and implementing everything that Jesus would tell us to do the leaps and the limits. He says, everything in the gospel is livable. I should have just stopped there, but I wrote more of his quote. Everything in the gospel is livable. It was not enough that I announced the gospel, explain it, or whip up enthusiasm for it. I wanted it lived. Lived in detail, lived on the streets, lived on the job, lived in the bedrooms, lived in kitchens, lived through cancer and divorce, lived with children and in marriage. Everything Jesus tells us to do is meant to be lived out. And so how do we know what Jesus is telling us to do? How do we recognize when he's setting a limit or challenging us to take a leap? How do we know that it's not just something we heard from somebody else or emotion that's driving our decision-making or a fortune cookie we read? How do we know that it's Jesus telling us to do those things? Set that limit, take that leap. And as simplistic as this question sounds, I think it is, it is a question that I've been answering recently in my own life, which is just be with Jesus. Spending time with him. Not just for 20 minutes in the morning. I mean just throughout the day, spending time with Jesus. Even if it's two minutes or three minutes or 20 minutes or an hour, whatever it would be, but spending time throughout the day with Jesus In prayer or Bible reading or silence, listening to worship music. You want to know what Jesus is going to tell you to do? Read the Gospels and look at his ministry, look at his teaching, look at his life. Read the epistles in the early church and see the characteristics of Jesus being lived out in real life, even in their complications, even in their conflicts and their brokenness. They're being propelled to live this out. I want to live out Jesus in that context. The church was messy back then. Everybody wants to be the early church. They were just as messed up as we are. Sometimes even more. And yet, what you see is people saying, Jesus, lead this church, lead my life. When you read the Gospels, when you read the New Testament, when you read Scripture, you're seeing the words of God, and, and they are going to challenge you to maybe set a limit or take a leap. I, and this is one that is hard in our culture, and we're just going to keep mentioning it because this is partly where I'm at personally, but I think relevant to a lot of us. A couple weeks ago, I talked about anxiety, and I had more feedback personally uh, about that one and a positive, people just saying, Sean, you read my email. That's where I'm at. So I think this speaks to where a lot of people are at right now, is just being silent and still before the Lord. Finding quiet. Our world is loud. Would you agree? There's a lot of noise. And it is in that stillness that we can hear and recognize the voice of Jesus speaking to each of us, not just those with pastor in front of them. Jesus speaks to all of us. And if Jesus is saying, call me Lord, but do what I say, we've got to recognize that he's talking to you. He's inspiring you. He's teaching you. He's guiding you. He's leading you. Will you do what he says? Will you be quiet enough and still enough to say, Jesus, I'm listening. What do you want to say? We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital Connect card at thehubcitychurchcom connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.